You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, so if you've been here over the last few months, you know we have been working through the opening chapters of the book of, of Revelation, and we are now to the fifth of the seven letters uh, that we find in chapters two and three. This is the uh, shortest, but in some ways the most pointed letter uh, of all the seven letters. It's addressed to the first century church in the ancient city of Sardis. Now, at the time of the writing of Revelation, that was roughly 96 AD, the population of Sardis was somewhere between 60 and 100,000 people. But uh, this city was in steep decline. And as we'll sort of begin to figure out as we listen to Jesus' words to this church, the church in many ways mirrored the city. They, they too were in decline. So here's what I want to do with this passage. I want to take it in three parts with you today. Here are the three parts. Jesus is going to address the problem. So we've got the problem. He's going to give a prescription. He's going to give us five things, uh, commands to do. So he gives us a prescription, and then uh, he finishes with a promise. So the problem, prescription, and then the promise. So let's start with the problem. You see it in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. I just want to have make sure your Bible is out and open. I want you to, to read Revelation 3, verse 1 with me. Listen to, to what the text says. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God. That's a reference to the Holy Spirit. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. What a word from Jesus. You have the reputation of being alive. I mean, this is how people see you. This is how you see you. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Hey, can you just read that with me? Let's just say that sentence out loud. It should be on the screen for you. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. One more time. Can you read that with me? You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Revelation 3.1 is one of the most serious and sobering sentences in the New Testament. It's one of those sentences that I'm, I'm praying the Lord would just sort of stick into our collective heart and your heart in particular today. You have the reputation of being alive. You look great. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And here's what I want to do over the next couple of minutes is just to Pick that phrase up, hold it up before us in the light and turn it a few times so that we can see it from various angles. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Jesus is addressing in, in this text a sickness. And that sickness has a name. And here's the name of the sickness he's addressing. The name of the sickness is religious hypocrisy. It's having the reputation without the reality. It's having a, a reputation for godliness. When people looked at them, when this was the church in Sardis, when people looked at them, they, they saw godliness. They had the reputation for godliness just without God. 
It's a sickness that makes us, it makes us look like Jesus just without Jesus, without a love of Jesus, without longing for Jesus, without a want of Jesus. It's religious hypocrisy. And that sickness shows up throughout the scriptures. We're acquainted with it and see it from the jump. In Genesis chapter 4, we get the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, two brothers, uh, Cain, the older brother, he's a farmer. Abel, the younger brother, he's a shepherd. These two brothers bring an offering to God. Now just picture that scene. Uh, it would be akin to them going to church together. They are going to church together. They're worshiping the Lord together. And, and just like we do each week in our worship, they have a moment where they are giving back to the Lord. Right? They, they brought their gifts to the Lord. Cain brought his gift from the field, the, the fruit of his harvest. Abel brought his gift from the flock. And God delights in the sacrifice of Abel. It brings a smile to the face of God. God's heart just leaps toward it. He, he loves, he delights in Abel's sacrifice. But uh, God rejects Cain's sacrifice. Now, why is that? Well, we know that the Lord doesn't just sort of draw arbitrary lines. We know that God saw a discernible difference and that that difference meant everything to God. And the difference, it had nothing to do with what they brought. Was it from the field or was it from the flock? It had nothing to do with what they brought. It had everything to do with the heart they brought it with. See, if you were there at the worship service with Cain and Abel, uh, I don't think you would have seen any discernible difference between their sacrifices. I don't think you could have seen anything on the surface. But God did. And what God saw made all the difference. This is why we often say around here, it is not what we appear to be that matters, but what we actually are before the Lord that matters. It's not what you appear to be to others. Even when you look into the mirror to you, it's not, what, it's not what we appear to be that matters, but what we actually are that matters. Because God sees. He sees what other people can't see. He sees through our sacrifices to our hearts. Jesus says you have the reputation, the, the reputation of being alive. You look alive, but you're dead. And that sickness that starts very early on in the story of the scriptures stays in the story. When God rebukes his people in the Old Testament through his prophet Isaiah, he rebukes them for the very same thing, religious hypocrisy. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, he says to his people, he says, or about his people, he says, these people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. It's it's again, it's the sickness, it's religious hypocrisy, it's doing the right thing just without the heart. It's worship of God void of the reality of God in their life. And God rejects their worship. Just like Cain, he says, no, I, I will not have that sacrifice, I will not have that worship. And again, the problem isn't the worship they brought, the problem is the heart they brought it with. That's the issue. You have a reputation for being alive. I mean, you look great. You have the reputation, Sardis, of being alive, but you are dead. 
If you skip forward to the New Testament, this is Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees. It's the very same thing. In Matthew chapter 23, we read these words in verse 25. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, let me just pause there. It is hard to describe how shocking that was for people to hear Jesus say. In particular, about the Pharisees. Uh, when we think about the Pharisees now, uh, after reading the Bible, we kind of see them as the bad guys in the New Testament. If you were alive in the first century, if you were in the story then, you would have seen them as the good guys. They are the godly guys. They are the people who are praying, they're fasting, they're, they're memorizing scripture. I mean, these guys are doing the thing, but Jesus looks at them and says, they have the sickness. Religious hypocrisy. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And then listen to what he says. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and saying, yes, Pharisees, you look great. You look so good, but your goodness has no God in it. Your goodness has greed and self-indulgence in it. You have a reputation of being alive, Pharisees, but, but you're dead. Jesus goes on in verses 27 and 28 to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And then listen to what he says. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Or as Jesus says in Revelation 3, you have the reputation of being alive, but Pharisees, you are dead. Now, what are we supposed to learn in a text like this? What are we supposed to see? What is the insight Jesus wants us to see from a text like this? Well, here's one insight that this text gives us into life and what it looks like to relate to God. One insight that Jesus wants to give us is just this awareness that a spiritual corpse can wear religious clothes. A spiritual corpse. No life inside of them, a spiritually dead person, right? No life. Their heart is unresponsive to God. Their, their heart is in rebellion against God. A spiritually dead person, not redeemed by Jesus, not rescued by Jesus. A spiritually dead person can wear enough religious-looking clothes and religious-looking makeup that when you look at them, you think they're alive. They're, they're, they're living. A spiritual corpse can wear religious clothes. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Now, let me just be clear. A reputation is not a bad thing. A reputation is a good thing, right? The problem is not a reputation. I love how one pastor said it. He said a reputation is a good thing unless a reputation is all you have. That was the problem in Sardis. You, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Here's, here's part of the insight. As Jesus is warning us to see here, a spiritual corpse can wear religious clothes. Here's the second insight I think this text gives us. 
I think Jesus also wants us to be very aware that this sickness is not easy to see. It's not easy to see. And, and we know that there are some sicknesses that are not easy to see that can oftentimes be unseen and undetected in our life. Uh, many of you that, that are in this area, you know the story of Coach White. He was a beloved teacher and coach at Midlothian High School. And uh, sadly, Coach White recently lost his battle with cancer. Just, just a brutal, brutal story. Uh, and here's what's so ironic about his story. If you were to bump into Coach White just a few months ago, like back in April or May, you would have seen a model of fitness. Uh, he looked great. He looked fit. He looked healthy. All of those things were true. But at the same time, unknown to him and everyone around him, an aggressive cancer was at work. And that aggressive cancer that is at work but unseen in our lives is a picture of this spiritual sickness, religious hypocrisy. It oftentimes, most of the time, is at work in a way where it is undetected in our life. Anytime you're reading the Bible, I think it's always, uh, it's a good thing to ask, what am I expecting the text to say next? I, like when I read a verse, what am I expecting to hear right after? It, it has a way of helping sort of tune you in to irony in the text, the surprises, the sort of contrast that, that Jesus is wanting to bring in a given moment. Now, when I read Revelation 3, verse 1, here's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting commendation. I'm expecting Jesus to say, uh, Church and Sardis, I know your works. I see them. And you have the reputation of being alive because you are. That's what I'm expecting Revelation 3.1 to say. I'm expecting Jesus to say your reputation is rooted in reality. That, that reputation for godliness is coming from a heart that is godly. But instead, it says the opposite. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. It's a surprise. It's unexpected. And in the same way, I think if you would have seen the church, if you were around that church, if you were maybe in the neighboring city talking about that church, you would have been expecting commendation from the Lord. Uh, imagine a person coming up to you and saying, um, hey, could you describe a dead church to me? Uh, imagine how you might respond to that. Um, I think many of us would say something like, well, a dead church is a church that was once vibrant, but now there is little left. They have dwindled down in size. There's a few people left. Most of those people are, are older, and when they die, the church will die with them. Now, that is a true picture of a dead church. That, that is what many dead churches look like, but it is not the whole truth. Here is another picture that Jesus gives us. Uh, picture the church that is big and growing. Uh, the parking lot's full. Uh, they're starting new services to make room for more people. Right? I mean, they're, they're just doing all the, the stuff. Uh, they are a people, uh, you know, people in, in the area, they, they love the church. The, the services are great. The preaching is great. The music is great. Uh, the church is not only big, but it's busy and it's active. I mean, amazing ministry happening throughout the church. And the church is mobilized in the community to serve the community. All those things are happening. The church is big. The church is busy. The, the church is active. But, Jesus says, that church can also be dead. 
And that's the church in Sardis. Big, busy, and active, and because they are missing the reality of God in their church, they're dead. See, in this way, this text is alerting us that some sicknesses are hard to see, in particular this one. Uh, this sort of a death can be deceiving. Uh, Jesus is looking at the church and saying, you have a reputation. You have the reputation that you're alive, that you're godly. Oh, you have a reputation, but you are dead. Some sicknesses are hard to see. James reminds us that faith without works is dead. And we all need to know that. that. That is a true statement. Faith without works is dead. James is saying good works always follow genuine faith. So James affirms we are saved by faith alone, but he is saying the faith that saves never stays alone. It loves the company of good works. That's the point that James is making. But Jesus is saying something a little different here. Je Jesus is reminding us that, that good works can also flow from dead faith. Yes, genuine faith will always produce good works, but good works can also come from dead faith. In other words, right living. Even having a reputation for right living. Like when people look at you, they're like, man, that person, like they're godly. Right living, a reputation for right living can come from a spiritually dead heart. Now just let that sober you for a moment. That, that that feels so scary to me to say that. And this is what makes this particular sickness, religious hypocrisy, so hard to see. Uh, let me put it in a picture for you. Imagine, this will be up on the screen for you. Uh, imagine three ways a person could live. Here, here are the three ways. Number one, first person, they openly defy God. I mean, they, they hate God. They, they want nothing to do with God, right? They openly defy God. And obviously, it's coming from a dead heart, like a spiritually unresponsive, a heart that's in rebellion against God. Them and God, the reality, it's not there, right? So they openly defy God from a dead heart. That's category one. Category two, this person openly serves God, but they're serving God from a spiritually dead heart. So yes, I am in with Jesus. Whatever God wants, wherever God wants it, I am a yes. But their heart's dead to God. No, no reality inside of them. That, that's category two. Then category three. And this person, third person, openly serves God, but from a heart that is alive to Jesus. So same thing, yes, whatever God wants, whenever God wants it, I am there. Yes, God. And their heart is actually alive to God. Like they actually love and long for Jesus. That the reality of God is inside of them. That their heart is alive to Jesus. Now, think about those three per people and ask yourself the question. Where is the big dividing line? Between what, between what two people is, is the big, dark, bold line that creates the difference that matters? I think most people look at these three ways of living and draw the big, bold line between category one and two, person one and two. We think like this. There are people who defy God, and there are people who serve God. That's, that's the big distinction. Defy God, serve God. And this line is obvious. It's easy to see, right? 
I mean, it's pretty easy to see the difference between the person who is like, no, I hate God, and the person who's over here saying, no, I want to serve God. That, that's an easy, easy, obvious line to see. But that line carries no significance to Jesus. It doesn't matter to Jesus. Because person one and two, for all of their differences, it's just appearance. If you could crawl down into their heart, you have the exact same heart. A heart that's dead to God, unresponsive to God. The line that matters to Jesus and the only line that matters in the end is not between category one and two, but between two and three. Friends, Jesus is, is looking. Just like he's looking at the church and starts, he, he knows church's hearts. He knows his people's heart. And, and as he is looking, he is not looking at the level of behavior. Defy God, serve God. He's not looking at that level of our lives. He is looking beyond that level all the way down to the level of our hearts. And that's what makes these things so hard to see. This sickness so hard to see. The line of behavior is obvious, right? I mean, you can just see it. It's right there for you to, to look at. But the line of the heart is not easy. Let me put it in illustration for you. Consider two people, uh, and let's just take generosity as an example. It is easy to see the difference between a person who is stubborn and greedy, right? They, they, um, they don't give uh, to, to the poor, right? It's easy to see that person. And on the other side, it's easy to see the person who does give to the poor. So you have two people, both working with generosity. One doesn't give, the other does. That's a very easy thing to see. But it is hard to see the difference between two people who both give generously to the poor. I mean, they're, they're both all in. They are giving generously to the poor, but one is out of a love of God and the poor. The other is to purchase a reputation as one who loves God and the poor. That's hard to see. But that difference means everything to God. Jesus shows us how much this difference matters to him. That, that difference, the level of the heart, not just behavior, the level of the heart. He shows us how big of a difference that makes. In Matthew chapter 7, one of the most sobering texts in the New Testament. Uh, listen to what Jesus says. This is right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus says in verse 21 of Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many, not a few, not just a handful, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name. So let's just pause there and consider that. When you're looking at what these people are and what they're doing, I want to be on their team. I mean, everything looks great about these people, doesn't it? Their confession is right. When they're referring to Jesus, they're referring to Jesus as Lord. Right? I mean, their theology is, is on point. That, that is who Jesus is. Their confession is right. Uh, their passion is right. 
right? It's not just a confession that Jesus is Lord. It is a passionate confession that Jesus is Lord. Uh, See, when we want to emphasize something, you do what I'm doing this morning. We turn up the volume, right? Volume is a way for us to emphasize and, and, and really say this is important. Uh, well, to them, they didn't use volume in the first century. They, they would use repet- repetition. So their turning up the volume is, is saying, Lord, Lord, right? So it's not just that, that, that we are, we've got the right confession. It's that there is passion behind the confession. Lord, Lord, that this is who you are to us, right? Theology, spot on, passion, spot on. And then look at their works. Their works are right. It says that they prophesied in your name. They're looking to Jesus and saying, you see all these things we've done? We, we have prophesied in your name. We have, hear this, cast out demons for you, Jesus. That, that, that's the sort of thing we've been doing. We have done mighty works in your name. I mean, that, that is a list of good works, isn't it? The, these guys were doing it. That, that is godly things, significant things. You do these sort of works with that sort of confession, and you're going to have a reputation. But then shockingly, Jesus says in verse 23, And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do you see how deceiving this spiritual death can be? How hard it can be to see this particular spiritual sickness, religious hypocrisy? These men in this text had a reputation for good works. I mean, they had all sorts of good works in their life. They had the right theology going. They, they had a reputation for all of it, but they had no reality. Their heart was not alive to Jesus. And friends, hear me. This is the whole point of the morning. That difference means everything to God. Everything. Stonegate, this letter was written to the church in Sardis but it was written for us right here in this room this morning, written for us. And the question of the morning and of this text is not, does your life look good? That's not the question. It's not, do you have a reputation for godliness? It's not, man, are you reading your Bible as great as that is? It's not, are you praying as great as that is? It's not, are you memorizing scripture? Are you fast? That's not the question of the morning. It's not reputation. It's not at the level of behavior. It's at the level of your heart. The question of the morning is, is your heart alive to Jesus? There is no more important question to consider. Is your heart alive to Jesus? Do you know Jesus? More importantly, does Jesus know you? That's the question of the morning. Not not your reputation, but the reality. Is Jesus alive in you? Is your heart alive to him? I just, when I think about what's happening right now in this moment this morning, I think the Lord is, is giving us a gift today. He's giving us space to reflect upon this most important question. And it takes reflection. It takes considering because it's not obvious. right? He, he has to say this to the church in Sardis because they can't see it. They are looking in the mirror and saying, 
godliness must be there because we have a reputation for it because we look like it. I mean, just look at what we are. And Jesus is saying, but you're not seeing what I see. Yes, you have a reputation, but no, you do not have the reality. That's the question of the morning. And here's really what I'm asking you to do today is in a moment of just raw honesty before Jesus, would you bring that question to him? Jesus, is my heart alive to you? Do I know you, oh God? Do I know you? How do you know if you know the Lord or that he knows you, that your heart is alive? How do you know? Well, that could be a whole sermon in and of itself. But let me just say this about it. Here's one way to know if you're alive. Let's just use a physical illustration. How, how do you know that you, you are alive? Uh, well, here's, here's one thing that a dead person isn't. Hungry. Here's one thing that a sick person isn't. Think about the last time you were really sick. Here's one thing that a sick person isn't. Hungry. But you know one of the marks of being alive and healthy is that you have an appetite. Like you're, you're actually hungry. Now this is also true spiritually. How do you know that you are alive to Jesus? You're hungry for Jesus? You want Jesus? You have longings for Jesus? Like when you come into a moment like this, um, this doesn't feel boring to you. I just I ask yourself the question, does all this feel boring? Am I just sort of here out of... Uh, sort of routine, or, or am I come, coming because I, I actually love God. I, I find Him to be interesting. Like, He has my attention. It's not that, like, all these other things have my real attention. They, they have my love. They have my longings. And I just come and sort of do this thing. No, it's, this is like the thing in your life. That, that's how you know if you're spiritually alive to Jesus. If you have not just the reputation, but the reality, you find in your heart longings for Jesus, hunger for Jesus, a deep abiding love for Jesus. Is that present in you? And when I say present, I don't just mean like in the snapshot sense, although that can be important this morning. I, I mean in the panoramic view of your life, can you see a life and a heart that, that longs for Jesus? That's how you know if you're alive. There's spiritual hunger there, a longing, a want for the person of Jesus. Now, what do we do today if, if we're realizing this isn't me? Jesus gives us a prescription. Hey, let me just run through this very quickly here. He gives us five commands. You see them there. He says, wake up. That is what this morning is really all about. This text is Jesus putting an alarm clock right beside your ear, and, and this text is the moment the, the alarm clock just starts blaring in your ear. Jesus wants to wake us up. That, that's what he's after. For everyone in a spiritual slumber with sleepy hearts, this is the day Jesus has ordained to wake you up. Wake up, he says, and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For, for anyone in here who feels sleepy, or maybe you're just realizing, I, I think I'm full into the sickness, and I'm actually not alive spiritually. Well, there's hope today. There's actually something that can be strengthened. There's something that can be done. He says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. How do you strengthen what remains? We remember. Verse 3, remember then what you have received and heard. That's a call to fix your eyes on Jesus. 
uh, to remember his life perfectly lived for you, his death. Can you just get in your mind's eye the dying love of Jesus? Jesus nailed to a cross for your sin, all of your sin being stacked upon his shoulders, him, him being crushed under the weight of your sin, his life for your life, his death in place of your death. It says, remember his life, his death, and his resurrection, that, that the tomb really is empty, that Jesus, or that God has the power to, to raise Jesus from the dead. That, that, that's the power of God. He can do that. And if God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can bring your heart to life. He can wake up our sleepy hearts. Remember, and then he says to, to keep it or to guard it, to be vigilant. Uh, Sardis had this Acropolis that was considered invincible. Uh, we were there just a few months ago in Sardis, and, and I can see why people would think it's invincible. It was up on the side of, of this mountain, so up this, these huge cliffs. On top of those cliffs, about 1,000 feet above the rest of the city, you had that fortress on top of that mountain. I don't know how you get up there and how you take that fortress. I don't know how it would be done. But twice in the history of the city, it happened. And in both cases, it was because the city was sleepy, careless, just lacking vigilance. They weren't keeping it. Do you remember what Jesus says to Peter, James, and John in the garden? Watch and pray. Why? Well, lest you enter temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So friends, that's us. And Jesus is saying, watch, stay vigilant. Every day you wake up in a spiritual war. war. The world, the flesh, and the devil all conspiring to break into your heart. So, so watch and pray, keep it, guard it, stay vigilant. Keep it. And then he says, and repent. Friends, there is only one way out of religious hypocrisy, this sickness. There's only one way out. And Jesus has made the way for us. Here's the way. The only way out is honesty. Coming into the light. We start the journey from reputation alone to reputation with reality when we speak honestly to Jesus and to others. So this is what that might look like for some today. It might look like you bringing your hardness to him, your sleepiness to him, your lack of hunger to him. It might look like you coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want to want you. I want to love you more. I want to hunger more for you. That, that's repentance. So how many of us need that this morning? And then let me finish here in verse five with the promise. Verse five. The one who conquers, that's the one who, who perseveres, right? Who, who wakes up, who stays alert and alive to Jesus. That's the one who conquers. To the one who conquers, uh, he'll be clothed thus in white garments. As Jesus saying, hey, one day you are going to step into my presence perfectly clean. Not because of your good works, but because of my good works lived on your behalf. There is a day coming where perfection is going to describe you. You will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. That's a word of assurance. That's Jesus saying, hey, all that are mine, 
the, the, all that conquer, one day I'm going to walk you into a bright new future with me. That, that's a word of assurance. It's Jesus saying your future is 100% secure. I'll never blot you out of the book of life. And then look at this last sentence. It's had me in tears all week. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Friends, that, that is what awaits every person whose heart is alive to Jesus, who knows Jesus, or he knows you. That, that's what awaits you. Can, can you just picture this scene for me for a moment? The day's coming for all of us where we take our last breath. And when we take our last breath, Jesus is going to take our hand. We're going to find ourselves on the other side of this life in the hands of Jesus. And in the hands of Jesus, he is going to walk us into this bright new future that's secure for us. And the first place Jesus says, I'm going to take you is before my father. And evidently, around the Father is this myriad of angels, this crowd of angels. And there, is, as we are walking hand in hand with Jesus, he takes us before the Father. He's, he's going to look up at God the Father, and he's going to say, um, here he is. Here she is. This is Rodney. This is your son and my friend. He's, he's here. And in that moment where Jesus announces our name, the whole of heaven is going to erupt in joy. Friends, that is what's coming for us. That, that's what Jesus is promising us. That, that, that is the unwritten sort of chapters of the story that are in front of us. So church, let's wake up. Amen. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. I want to give you just a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful to wipe away the things that wouldn't be. Would you be so bold this morning to bring the question before Jesus? my heart alive to you, Jesus. With the reputation, do I have the reality? Do I know you, oh God? More importantly, do you know me? Father, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, would you grant us the courage to be honest? God, will you minister the good news of Jesus to us? It's in your good name that we ask it. Amen.